Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to discuss taxes in America, specifically the fair tax and what the fair tax is. Congressman John Linder is on the podcast today. He introduced the fair tax in 1999. He also wrote a book with Neil Bortz on fair tax. And some of you may have heard of the fair tax. It was reintroduced recently by Representative Buddy Carter. And back in the day, it was also supported by Saxby Chambliss, a U.S. senator from the state of Georgia. Fair tax is undoubtedly a Georgia creation, which is great. I'm from Atlanta, and it's it's just a really uh, it's a really cool thing to have such a history on taxation and fighting taxation and fighting for proper taxation in the state of Georgia. Taxation in America gets very much a partisan issue. The left says we need to tax the rich. The right says we need to have more efficient taxation. I will say that the tax code is written to benefit investors, entrepreneurs, inherited wealth, and the affluent, the wealthy, the super wealthy, and the the mega wealthy multi-billionaires. The tax code benefits all of those types. The poor and the lower middle class and the middle class who are usually, if not completely 100% of the time, taken advantage of by the United States tax code. In our second episode with Steve Hayes, who's the chairman and president of the Fair Tax Organization, We'll discuss why this is bipartisan, and we get into some of that with in this episode with Congressman Linder. But I just wanted to mention that fair tax is a bipartisan issue. It benefits everyone in America. So without any more delay, here's my discussion with Congressman John Linder. Congressman, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Can you uh, can you describe a bit about the the fair tax and and what made you kind of author the fair tax and, and move this forward? I have been a believer in getting rid of taxes on income, taxes on production, and taxing consumption for many, many years prior to my, my even going to Congress. Neil Bortz, who will be remembered around here as a popular radio talk show host, and I have been friends since about 1971 or two, and he and I used to go to a Saturday morning breakfast Republican organization, and we wound up talking about it a good bit there. We talked about it most of our lives. When I got to Congress, I um, we got the majority. We were at a meeting, a retreat, planning our first hundred days, and I was sitting next to Bill Archer, the chairman, incoming chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, and he and I started talking, and he had been a huge fan of the fair tax, of the of the sales tax. It hadn't been given a name yet. And so we talked about it a very, a lot, a very large amount of time. And uh, one day in 1999, a friend of Bill's from Houston came by my office, set up an appointment. His name was Leo Lindbeck, and he had started Americans for Fair Taxation, raised several million dollars in it, was doing studies on, economic studies on the possibility of passing a tax on consumption rather than production and how it could be done, how much it would have to be. And we became friends and we introduced the fair tax bill in 1999, July, and we tried to keep it even with Republicans and Democrats. We had two Democrats and two Republicans on the bill for starters. 
Colin Peterson from Minnesota was sort of my lead Democrat. We started traveling the country talking about it, and we were struck, even back in 1999, by how many people would come up afterward and just say it is just so appealing to see a Democrat and a Republican standing on the same stage agreeing. And uh, we didn't get beyond about four or five Democrats. And then uh, it got to be very difficult from the Democrat point of view to sign on because their leadership hated it. Over the years, I probably traveled to 30 or 40 states and gave hundreds, if not thousands, of radio interviews and talked about it. The flat tax at the time is was the tax that people were talking about because uh, Steve Forbes ran for president on the flat tax. And uh, it gets a different level of exposure when you have a presidential candidate talking about it. Steve and I have debated many, many times over the course of the years. And my position has always been to say that the tax we have today that we've come to know and love is a flat tax on income 113 or 110 years later. It started out as a modest tax on the top 2% of the income earners and uh, only that. And over time, of course, particularly during World War II, it exploded. We flattened our tax rate out hugely in 1986. And within 15 years, we amended it 20,000 times. My view is that the tax on income the current system has been designed or ultimately came to be used as a way to punish your enemies and reward your friends. I recall in 1999 or 2000, Lloyd Benson, who was Secretary of the Treasury at the time, telling my friend Leo Lindbeck, and they were friends from Texas, we couldn't possibly pass the tax on consumption because how would we be able to help our friends in corporate America if it went through the tax code that nobody understood? And um, we're at the date of time now where about 50% of the lobbyists in the entire Washington, D.C. area are paid to game the tax code. And uh, it has become the way to reward your friends and punish your enemies. It has been my belief for some time that we will ultimately come to a tax on consumption. I pray that we don't have both of them, which every other state, every other nation that has said to tax consumption has left a income tax in for the just for the top few percent. That never stays that way. And they wind up taxing everybody on income and everybody on consumption. I believe it has to be one or the other. And uh, we will come to this point for a real simple reason. And that is we have no place else to go. Um, Every tax reform proposal since the 1950s has been designed to remove some taxpayers from the rolls and tax only the top 2%. I'll never forget George Bush, the first uh, 41, with his tax increase in 1989, was just from the top 2%. 1993, Bill Clinton's tax, that was my first year in Congress, and Bill Clinton's tax increase was only in the top 2%. And the other 98% said, well, go get them. We don't care. And that tax ultimately finds its way throughout the economy from the top to the bottom. Uh, George Bush, 43, told me one day uh, he was visiting Atlanta and we were going from one place to another. He just passed a tax reform bill. And he proudly says, Johnny, we took 6 million people off the rolls. I said, shame on you. 
And he was a little surprised at that. And I said, we need to get more people on the tax rolls. And the reason is we need a lower base and a broader base. Because the bottom 50% currently pay collectively less than 3% of all the taxes on income. And they're disproportionate beneficiaries of government largesse. So they want more taxes without paying them and more benefits, more things free. Ultimately, we're going to have to broaden the base. And once we do that, with everybody paying every time they buy something, but we, as you know, the prebate, the rebate in advance that allows people to spend up to poverty level spending for their entire family, rich or poor, without being taxed, will help low-income people. We did that because in our many polling and focus groups that we did, people kept saying, but help the poor, help the poor. And we think the prebate helps everyone spending up to a certain level. And then everybody pays the same. We're going to have to do this because we can't continue to grow the government pretending only the top 2% are going to pay for it. As you know, I think it's right now the top 1% of the incomers pay about 40% of all the income tax. And uh, they're pretty mobile. They can move. Uh, we've seen states that have tried to get real heavy on the top income earners. A few years ago, it was Maryland, as I recall. They had 3,000 extra high-income earners, and so they placed a rather substantial increase in income taxes on that 3,000 people. And one year later, they had 1,000 people in that category. The others moved. So um, the only way to be fair and honest is to say everybody pays the same. Everybody gets protected, even the rich get protected up to poverty level spending, and then everybody's in the same boat. Once we do that, we will give the American people the greatest gift it is within our power to give. That is anonymity. No one should know as much about us as we're unwilling to tell our children. No one should know more about us than the government are willing to admit at home. Congressman, you bring up a really good point, and that is, well, you brought up a lot of excellent points, but but one point I want to talk about is the the IRS having some sort of guesstimation on income and, and net worth, and, and that way being able to punish enemies and reward friends a lot easier. As they talk about a wealth tax, do you see that that's what they're trying to do when they talk about a wealth tax? Sure. That. $87 billion that they had to the IRS to increase, dramatically increase the number of IRS, armed IRS agents. It's not for the top 2%, I can promise you that. Because those folks use the best accountants and lawyers in the country to pay their honest tax. They, they can't afford to play games in the tax code, and they don't generally. They pay as little as they can, right. honestly, and under the law. That increase in the IRS has come after the rest of us. Is um, nobody knows at our level how much we're really paying if we're if we're paying taxes on that lady that cleans the house or the guy that does the yard, it's, which we're supposed to do, by the way. And um, the IRS is coming after them now. The question of taxing gain income gains that have not been realized is there's no question that the left wants to go there. There's simply no question they want to go there. I just don't think even the bottom 98% are going to go for that. 
it's going to be very difficult. There's been a huge reaction against it every time it's been talked about. However, there's no question. Let's admit that the deep state, which I firmly agree exists, exists of bureaucrats who have been there for a very large amount of time, 30, 35 years. No one knows their name, but they write these laws. They're very liberal. Uh, let me digress for just a moment and say that at least 90% of the people who work for the federal government are Democrats. And a very large number of them belong to unions. So I, every IRS person belongs to the tre Treasury Postal Union or an IRS union. And they're Democrats because Republicans go to, to government for a period of time. And we make the decision that the best way to improve the lives of those around us is to create jobs and create wealth and let people have more of their own to spend. The left believes that the, the way to fix things and help help everybody improve their standards is through laws, through government, and they stay forever. And so there are people that have been there for some time, and they're very senior in the bureaucracy, and not just in the Treasury, not just in the IRS, but throughout the bureaucracy. And they're going to try and go for that tax on appreciated but not realized income. And um, if they keep repeating it often enough, someday it'll be sneak only on the top 2%, of course. But it'll be snuck in there. It, we just got to get away from taxing what people produce and start taxing what they consume. When was the fair tax first introduced? July of 1999. Here is what happens in Washington. If you're there any lengths of time, members of Congress have staffers that get to be very senior. They go from your personal staff to your committee staff when you become a leader of the committee, an officer of the committee, like a chairman. And they run that committee as staff director. And then they go downtown as lobbyists with all this knowledge and writing bills, and they become lobbyists. So when John Boehner was... I don't, I don't mean to pick on him. He's a friend of mine. But when he was speaker, he had former staffers all over that town that he stayed in touch with. Mm -hmm. And they put down the fair tax with John immediately. This is just crazy. It's just crazy. And I'll give you some examples of why that happened. The Farm Bureau is 5 million farm families across the United States. And they spend fortunes in their little old communities, trying to find ways to pass on their farm to their children when they die. Because the inheritance tax forces most of those farms to be sold and to pay the tax. And they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes for various trusts to find ways to protect it. And I would meet some of them in my office. They loved the fair tax. One after the other. You can't find a farmer in America who's both fair tax. The Farm Bureau Federation, however, these are the bureaucrats that run the Farm Bureau. They are suspicious of the fair tax because, you see, they were put together as an organization with some substantial budgets and salaries. And the reason for that organization was to get rid of the, the death tax. And if John Linder were to get rid of the death tax by passage of the fair tax, what were they to do? The same can be said about the realtors. In my office, the people who actually sell houses, 
loved the fair tax because for all the calculation of the mortgage deduction and all of that, as you know, many realtors will go through that at their desk telling you how, how you can afford to make the payment in this house. Really, they will tell you that the person who buys the house will make the decision as to the whether they can afford the payment based on what their take-home <clears throat> take pay is right then. We're going to increase the take-home pay dramatically. People can afford to pay that payment on that house. The real estate organization in Washington hates the fair tax. Hates the fair tax. In fact, in my 1922 primary race against a, a colleague, a Republican colleague, the realtor spent independently $100,000 to defeat me because they hated the fair tax. Because you see, the real estate organization was organized in Washington to protect the mortgage interest deduction. And if I got rid of it in one fell swoop with the passage of the fair tax, what are they to do? So all of this organization in Washington, all of them, there to protect something in the tax code for their specific group of people. And if we abolish the tax code, they're out of a job. And so the overwhelming opposition to the fair tax is not among voters. It's not out in the country. It's not in any community. It's in Washington, D.C. And the only way to break that back, to get it, on one party, the Republican appears to be interested in having a vote on it, get it on their agenda so that individuals in that party can be out selling it. Now, I'm not confident that this year is going to be the, the difference because our speaker, although he committed to a vote on it, Kevin has got, he's been there 20 years. He's got former members, former uh, members of his staff all across Washington in those very organizations that hate the fair tax. And when they go to dinner and meet with his, his old former staffers, will take him to dinner regularly. They all hate the fair tax. He was asked straight forward just after the he was elected speaker and promised to put the fair tax on the agenda for a vote. If he himself supported it, he said no. It's Washington. It's it's the deep state that we're fighting here. Yeah, no, that's unfortunate. When do you think it'll pass? And I'm not. That's not. That's not a trick question. I'm just curious. When do you think it will pass, if ever? When somebody runs for president on it, gets it to the American people. I'll give you a, a little story. Um, in, in 2002, Bob Barr, a Republican, right? I remember Bob Republican. Barr. Okay, he he decided that the we had reapportionment. The district that wound up, 7th District of Georgia, included Gwinnett County, which I've represented for many years. That was about 60% of the district. And he represented a piece of the district from the Northwest Georgia district that he represented. But he wanted, he liked this one better because it was a safe Republican seat and he could spend more time traveling and speaking. He loved to be invited to give speeches and and he wanted to do more of that. We felt that if the election had a very low turnout, see, the average turnout in that district was about 37,000, 38,000 votes. High turnout was in the 40s. A low turnout was in the low 30s. We figured if we had a really low turnout, he could possibly win because of the hardcore stick, poke a stick in the eye of the president, Republican base like him because he introduced that 
the resolution to send out Bill Clinton to impeach him. We had 88,000 votes in that election. 25% had never voted before. And they came, and we polled right afterwards, went out, my God, that's twice as many as ever voted in primary in that district. I never ran a commercial on the fair tax. We had 88,000 votes, and one-fourth of them had never voted in a primary before, and almost every one of them said that we came to save the fair tax. About 10% of the people that voted in that Republican primary were Democrats. And they said we came to save the fair tax. It is a very positive political tool. And if we could convince a president to run on it, now Mike Huckabee did. In 2008, when he came out for the fair tax, it changed his race. And he won Iowa, lost New Hampshire, but was dead even in South Carolina. I would happen to be with him at this time, and they made a wrong decision. They did. Somebody said that Michigan, which, which was coming up shortly thereafter, was turning toward Mike. And so we flew up there for two days. We campaigned and went back to South Carolina. Well, everybody else stayed in South Carolina. Fred Thompson was running at the time, and he just stayed there and beat up on Huckabee. And, and Newt snuck through South Carolina and beat, narrowly beat Huckabee. But had, Huckabee stayed those two or three days in South Carolina. He could have won there, and then he could have won Florida. And he will admit he's a pro-fair taxer today, and he will admit that it changed his presidential race. It really became a big deal. Now, apparently people talked to, I wasn't able to get to Trump in 2016, but somebody did, and he said no, he wasn't going to support that because people would think he was trying to get rid of the, his heavy income tax burden because of the, his wealth and, and that he was trying to change, protect himself. But now that we've seen his tax returns, we know that that wasn't true. He didn't pay income taxes. And most high-income earners, particularly in his business, that have a lot of buildings and depreciation, don't pay high-income taxes. Uh, same he, with he a lot of entrepreneurs and investors. Yeah, that's correct. Trump could come out with a flat tax now, a fair tax now, and say, just fly it out to everybody. Look, I'll, I'll pay 10 times as much taxes under this bill as I do currently. But I don't have any hopes that he's going to do that. Ron Santos had been a fair tax. He, he signed the bill when he was a member of Congress. Somebody told me that he might be in favor of the fair tax, but not during a campaign because it's too hard to explain. I, I happen to think it's not too hard to explain. That's why I mentioned entrepreneurs and investors, because it's if people knew the truth about tax, and I'm certainly not a social justice warrior in this regard, but if they knew that the vast majority of people that the Democrats state they're taxing usually don't have to pay the taxes that the Democrats state they, they need to pay. That's correct. The public would be smarter. You know, they would get smart about this. Do you know what carried interest is? Yes, of course. Absolutely. Okay. That's a huge benefit to wealthy people. That's the people, hedge fund managers, on the percentage that they take off the growth of the hedge fund from other people's money, they capital gains tax on that rather than income tax, because they claim that it's uh, risk money. It's not. It's earned income. It should be taxed at earned income, because they they earn it by managing and making the decisions as to where the money goes. Now, some Republicans use this, mostly real estate groups. 
small groups of people will put together money and buy certain kinds of real estate, and there, there'll be someone who manages it and takes his 8%, and then the rest goes to the investors, whatever profits are in there. And that carried interest is largely a Wall Street Journal invention. It has never been voted on by Congress. It's not part of the law. Big hedge fund investors in Wall Street got together and hired every person in Washington who used to work on Ways and Means or Joint Tax Committee to get together and make the case to the IRS as a, as a matter of regulation that that carried interest earned is risk money and should be treated as risk money as the capital gains. And the IRS made a ruling on it. It's never been changed, although many candidates have run for president saying they're going to change that and start taxing hedge fund managers, but they don't. That's how rich people get away with not paying taxes. I just encourage people to start talking to their own member of Congress because there's going to be a vote on it. There's going to be a vote on it. Either I don't know if we're going to be a floor vote. I think he promised a floor vote, but it might not get beyond committee. But um, it's just time for people to talk to their congressman or congresswoman and ask them to commit. I think most of Georgia is committed in favor of the fair tax. And um, I don't know about, I doubt two senators are, but all the Republicans who at the, at the House level are. And I think people just need to be speaking up about it. The book that Neil Bortz and I wrote in 2005 is still available, still being yeah. sold, and it still explains in simple terms precisely what the fair tax is. I'll be sure to ha- have your book listed in on social and in the podcast description. So Congressman, yeah. thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. It's very insightful. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Congressman John Linder. We will have another episode on fair tax with Steve Hayes. So stay tuned. <laughs>